Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Back to recovery, sort of. As always, I'm Jason. I'm a guy in recovery, sort of. Uh, I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And today we have with us Matt. I'm Matt. I'm a person in long-term recovery. Welcome, Matt. It's nice to have you here, bud. Um, And we're going to talk to Matt a little bit about his recovery modality here in a moment. First, we're going to, you know, catch up on on some of our old things. We so we did an episode on step six. And then we did a follow-up episode because the feedback about step six was so wonderful and so, you know, interesting and positive. And then I still fucking forgot to say something, Billy. And so the one last final word that I wanted to say about step six is that Stephanie had pointed out an old concept that I had forgotten all about, the whole idea of if you spot it, you got it. And the point of that was when I learned it was that generally – if you're getting irritated with a character defect in somebody else, chances are that's a part of that character defect in you. Now, that might be a defect that I struggled with 10 years ago and I've gotten a little better with, but it just fucking irks me to see it in somebody else. Or it might be something that like, I really genuinely feel but don't act on much because for some reason I'm able to hide it. But generally... If I can recognize it in other people, it's because I'm familiar with the defect itself. Um, any thoughts about that, Billy? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty pretty accurate. You know, it's easy to spot things that you know you've had trouble with. And uh, just in general, I think any with, with the steps, I mean, it's a constant learning and constant application of these principles in our lives. Like, there'll, there'll always be more and more and more things to talk about on every step, Um as I stay around recovery, talk to more people and get more experience, I learn like there's they can go deeper and deeper into my life depending on how I want to apply them. So maybe since we've done three episodes now that talked a little on step six, maybe we'll only do <laughs> we'll only do half an episode on step seven next month. Yeah. Well, we always say we don't think there's gonna be much to talk about on a step, and then we end up spending three episodes on it. It <laughs> <laughs> does seem to be the way. Uh, so that'll be the last thing you hear about me from step six until I, I tell you that I'm working step six, which will be real soon. Cause I just finished up five and I'm going to go over that here shortly. Um, we also got an email from Julie, who's one of our listeners who does not, uh, particularly struggle with, you know, our, our form of addiction and recovery. Uh, and she just kind of pointed out we took some liberties about how we spoke about earthlings last episode, uh, maybe saying that it was a little easier for them to change or why they might not need 
a sixth step because they might recognize their, you know, ways of living that weren't working well for them in life. And they might just adjust accordingly as a matter of, you know, their natural being. And she had some contradictory statements to that and said that generally it's hard as hell for earthlings and normal people to change too. And they also need a process and might not be able to do it alone. And so uh, that was a nice email. I, I was a good read. If you ask me, I, I enjoyed it. What did you get out of it, Bill? Yeah, I appreciated her taking the time to give that input. Um, I did, you know, give a reply just to let her know, like I, I appreciated it. I have never been a earth person or non addict, you know, as early as I can remember, I, you know, have been an addict and, uh, you know, I, I cited some literature, uh, in our fellowship. There's a IP that talks about what it characterizes as the difference between, you know, earth people or normal people and addicts. And that's where I draw most of my information. Um, that could be total bullshit. Maybe some addict made that shit up. And since we like to think we're important, we print it and put it out there and preach it like it's the gospel. Uh, wouldn't be the first time, but you know, I like, that's where my understanding of that comes from. Um, so I just kind of gave her a little bit of that point of view and said, Hey, I'm open to, you know, hearing from anyone if she wanted to give more information on that. One thing I will say, and if I did this, I, I, it was mistaken. I don't think it's easy for anyone to change deep-seated character defects. Um, I think it's hard work to be self-reflective and then to really change some deeply ingrained behaviors. Like that's not an easy process. I think what I took from the literature I've read in, you know, NA is that it's a more natural process for uh, earth people or non-addicts, you know, Normal people don't seem to be as like self-obsessed and self-reliant and self-dependent. Um, so it's a little more natural for them to kind of look outside of themselves for answers to problems. Whereas addicts, you know, since we're so self-absorbed and self-centered, like we think we got to fix everything with our own thinking and our own, you know, we don't trust other people. We don't trust input from other sources and uh, so that's where uh, the step work becomes important because that gives us that process for reaching outside of ourselves. Interesting. I don't want to go too far off of uh, out, of, out of our structure of this episode because Matt's patiently waiting for us to, to talk about it. But I, I do think that like, so I, I think people are struggling because we have all these distractions today. We have these, these smartphones. I know me. I, let me talk about me. Even if I was not, addict i have a smartphone in my hand constantly and you know it's so natural even but when i have like a, a eight second delay in my life to pull it out and check a notification or look at something and so i'm not living consciously unless i'm trying and i just think a lot of our world does not live very consciously does not live very in tune with the moment and so what happens is we don't gain the ability to equate what we're doing with the outcome like when we're not living in the present, we're not seeing that what we're doing is causing these outcomes. And therefore, we lose our ability to change or adjust. We just think, oh, I just do these things. Oh, darn, life's hating on me again. And there, there's no connection between, damn, maybe I could do something different and get something different. Yeah. maybe, And like say, maybe that says something about our society. We're living in a society that exploits that... Uh, addictive tendencies in all of us right now. So you're seeing that, you know, birth of a, that, that 
addictive thinking is spreading out to sort of gobble up more and more people. Maybe 25 years ago, they didn't struggle with that. Maybe when that IP was written. <laughs> nah, they just beat their kids then and, and drank more. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh selena sent us a, a nice message as well uh she sent us an email she was talking about so she's a runner and she usually listens to us while she runs but she's had to listen to a, a metronome lately while she's running to keep her pacing and uh so she's fallen a couple episodes behind but she was talking about the shopping cart episode and how she always returns the shopping cart and i was you know applauding her in my room for being a shopping cart uh, returner, Matt's Matt's telling us that he's a shopping cart returner too. I'm like, hell yeah, return them carts. <laughs> and now every time I do it, I think of the podcast of that episode. <laughs> yep. And I had another incident the other day. Like I came out and it seemed like I parked the farthest possible spot away from the shopping cart returner. And I did the thing where I turn, I'm like, fuck, I could just push this thing up over the curb and get out of here. And I couldn't do it. I had to go take it all the way back. And I was cussing at you, Jason, the whole time. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but I also heard it. What was that? I said, but I returned it. So, Oh, man. Excellent. See, you are now a shopping cart returner. We're, we're converting right. people. Uh, we also had a nice message from Autumn um, who found us on Facebook. She sought us out and she just said she wanted us to know how grateful she was for the podcast. She was really struggling a week ago and stumbled upon the podcast. And for that day, we saved her from herself. Um, she says at five years clean, she still struggles with anxiety and now all the COVID stuff. She appreciates our information, our personal experience and humor. And she thanked us. And um, man, I can't tell you like... You know, we go through this every time we get one of these, Billy. I'll shoot it over to you. And I'm just like, I'm really at a fucking loss for words, man. Because we come on here. We enjoy ourselves. We enjoy talking to each other. Like, this is a, a fun time for us. I feel like it's truly been, I don't want to say a renaissance for my recovery, but definitely improved my recovery and my daily thinking about my life and, and trying to be open-minded and for anybody else to get something out of this is mind blowing to me at some points. Uh, and, and at other points, like just, I don't know, I, again, lost for words. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's funny because, you know, initially like, like most things you start, it's like we got some support from some friends and, and people that we knew. And then some of them were commenting, which was still, you know, it's like, wow, that's amazing. You know, we got people that are listening to this. They know they us. Know. Um, they took some time to reply. They took some time to say they appreciate it. Like, that's so great. And then now we're starting to hear that from people that we don't really know that are kind of more strangers. And it's that's even more humbling because you always feel like, or at least I, again, speak for myself, I as an addict always think, um, you know, nobody really cares about what I have to say. And, and my family or friends or, or people that know me, they'll say nice things just because that's like socially acceptable or that's what you're supposed to do. And I always, in my own head, this is just me in my own head, want to be like, they don't really mean it. They're just being nice. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not really deserving of this. This is just someone trying to be polite. And, uh, you know, then to get this from someone who has no you know, history with me at all or history with you at all to take some time and make a nice comments like, wow, maybe, you know, just maybe it's not all bullshit in my own head. Like maybe we are actually helping somebody like it's awesome. 
It, it is truly awesome. And, and another cool thing about it was that Autumn was able to point out the, the very obvious uh, that we missed the topic of sponsorship somehow and that yeah. we need to do that at some point. Yeah. It's like, if you ever said, hey, let's do a podcast about recovery with a general focus on possibly a 12-step modality, uh, sponsorship would probably be one of your top five topics. Yeah. <laughs> and we blew that one. So... We were Thank saving you. it for later. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. I had every intention of pulling that out at some point in time next year. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely, as always, uh, we really appreciate any feedback or comments or, or anything you have. We love it. We love to hear from you and interact with you. Um, but I think that's all about all we have to catch up with. Uh, we are going to move into our conversation with Matt today on a completely different recovery modality. And so to start that off, Matt, I I would like, what is your recovery modality called? Well, I hold a meeting called all paths recovery through voices of hope. I'm I've been in recovery since 2012. I've battled with addiction all my life, all the way back to being a child with little things like candy and soda to cigarettes to alcohol and so on and so on. And it only got worse each time I went out. Um, All Paths Recovery is a place for anyone in recovery. We're open to the idea that not one recovery mode works for every single person. We encourage a path of progression no matter where you are in your recovery. Um, If you need to use a form of maintenance-assisted treatment, we welcome you. Uh, Methadone, Suboxone, Vivitrol, medical cannabis, all these have worked for people trying to extend their time between their most recent use of whatever drug of choice or behaviors that, that led them into their unmanageability of life and to where they are today. If used correctly, these people can progress their lives too. And everyone deserves a safe place where they can feel comfortable and not an outcast. We welcome everyone to share where they are and take our encouragement for progression and self-care because that should be number one in our recovery, taking care of our own mental health, physical and spiritual well-being. Gotcha. That sounds pretty inclusive. Uh, One of the interesting things I I found out recently, uh, we got into this whole pandemic. We're in quarantine. We're, you know, stuck at home on these virtual meetings. And through our Twitter, we've run into some people, a lot of alcoholics on Twitter, for some reason, that's their preferred method, or people just claim being alcoholics because it's more socially acceptable. I don't actually think that's true. I thought that at first I was like, they're just claiming that right now. I actually (laughs) think they're all alcoholics. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, Or maybe they're just easier to find because when you type in sober, alcoholics come up. And when you type in clean, people who do laundry come up. I don't know. Um, (laughs) One of those two. But anyway, what I found on there was that a lot of these people talk about this XA, right? And it's not like, I don't think it's an I don't know. I, maybe I should really ask one of these goddamn people. I don't think it's an actual like physical program that they have. I think it's just like a, a cross recovery is what they're trying to say. And it really doesn't matter if you generally go to NA, AA, GA, a, a sex addiction meeting of any sort. Like anybody is welcome to come and talk about recovery. But in that everybody, 
I don't know if there's limitations. I don't know if they're like, oh, well, if you're on Suboxone, maybe that's a little different than what we're talking about. I really don't know if there's rules to it. I have no clue, right? So hearing about this kind of reminds me of the inclusiveness, but I like how, you know, you've laid it out to where anybody truly. Now, did you find that you had this idea that this is what you wanted and yet there was no like maybe nationally based program. And so you felt like you had to create your own sort of meeting. Well, sort of, I've done a little bit of research on other meetings out there around the country and what's open. And I'm actually going to my first smart recovery meeting this Friday. I'm trying to just feel it out and see what all is out there. So we're not really a program yet. We're just an open meeting space for people to come and share their experiences, their struggles and triumphs. And we're working on building that. So I'm trying to find out what we can do to set us apart from these other meetings to still be available for everybody, but not be piggybacking off what someone else is doing. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, borrowing what works for some other programs, but also differentiating in in what you offer is a, I think that's kind of what everybody's done with AA's 12 steps, basically for the most part, not everybody, it's been done quite a bit. Um, if it was, I wouldn't yeah. be here if it wasn't for the twelve step fellowships. <laughs> right, I, th- I think a lot of us have that same idea in our head. <laughs> like we wouldn't be here. So, do you know? And 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 I don't want to talk about a different modality, but I'm just curious since you brought up going to Smart. It, is there limitations on recovery and Smart recovery? Like, do they define it as not being on maintenance, or can you be on maintenance drugs and be Smart? I think they do have are open to maintenance recovery or maintenance assisted treatment. Right. I'm not exactly sure. Like I said, this Friday will be my first meeting attending them because I'm gotcha. just trying to get a feel for what other people are offering and what else okay. is out there. I wasn't sure if you were, if you were checking them out because they, they fit in more with uh, your beliefs or not. I was just curious. So what have you found so far about people who come to your meeting? Is there like a particular, not, not to stereotype anybody, but like, have you found that mostly people who come there live like this or mostly people who come here live like that? Like, is there any specifics that you've found it's so far? It's actually been a wide variety of people. I've had, a, we've had a few people that have came from NA and AA meetings just to check us out to see what it was all about. Um, I've had a couple people that just came from rehab who were just looking for an open meeting to go to. And a few other people were just didn't feel they a few of our home group members didn't feel they fit in in either NA or AA and heard what we had going on and started joining us and have been there ever since. Gotcha. So a lot of our questions generally uh, that we had come up with for different recovery modalities have to do more specifically with like the rules and, and, you know, for better lack of better term, the rules and regulations of recovery modality programs. And so since this is more of a meeting space, a lot of the questions wouldn't apply. You're not going to, you know, have specific uh, higher power or anything like that. There's no qualifications for membership, obviously. Or Okay, so that's not completely true. Is there any qualifications for membership? Like, does it have to be somebody in a form of recovery, do you have to have used a drug or, or anything at some point? I took notes on your questions, so give me <laughs> one second. I'm definitely curious about this answer. I want to know if like, I can send my mom to this meeting. 
<laughs> she's got. I want to say she's got shopping problems. <laughs> We're open to all forms of addiction. So our recovery process is a state we aim for progress. No matter where you are on your journey, as long as you desire for progress from whatever substance or behavior that has brought you to the depths of your misery, we offer support and resources for people on a personal basis if they're interested outside of the meeting before or after we share our triumphs and struggles and hold each other accountable we reach out to each other throughout if they fall off and kind of we don't hear from them in a while we reach out to them ask them what they're doing ask them if they're doing okay um we're still a small group so this may change over time but we welcome anybody and acknowledge that all forms of addiction are real and if they need help with something we'll help direct them in the path to the resources they need okay so that's cool i'm just curious uh what if it was somebody who didn't think they had an addiction they just wanted a a peer group to find some support in how how would you feel about that do you think that fits in or do you think they might i wouldn't be opposed to it i'd like to see where they stand if they want to share and share where they're at in life sure if they if we us sharing can help them come to acknowledge that they may have an addiction issue. By all means, please sit in. It's so interesting when it's a, a new, small, you know, program slash fellowship that you're almost, I mean, you're really not almost, you're, you're creating this to look like what you want. And I always forget this thing. Like I always have this idea kind of like with our podcast. I'm like, Oh, well we got to know exactly what the fuck it is from episode one. And we got to do it right from then on, right? And the fact <laughs> is, like, really, over the time we've been doing this, we're discovering what the hell this is and and letting exactly. it turn into that. And so, you know, you might start with the idea, oh, well, this is about addiction. And then you might find, you know, Katie, who's a school teacher and never done a drug or a behavior addictively, just really wants a place to come hang out and talk for an hour each week and and feel like she can vent her problems. And you might find you know what? Like this fits great with our program. She's perfect. So maybe we don't need to just be about addiction or you might have her in and you might say, you know what? I don't think this is working. We need to stick to just helping addicts. Cause that's what we do better. <laughs> right? Like it's, you can feel that out as you go. Yeah. So it, It's all been trial and error. That's, that's, it's kind of like the growing pains. And yet at the same time, the joy of, of doing something like this you get to experience all of it absolutely because i've seen so many people come into our meetings and just share the things that they're going through and the progress that they've made in life and it's been so rewarding and at the same time it holds me accountable like i may not want to get up and go to a meeting but hey i mean i started this meeting i need to be there to hold it for people (laughs) you know Look, I felt accountable at some home groups, but damn, starting a meeting, yeah, you really got to go. <laughs> exactly. So uh, what – I'm assuming you guys just follow the general um, disease model of addiction. Is that what your belief in addiction is, is that it's a disease? Yes, addiction is a disease. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, I say addiction is a compulsive need for any substance that diminishes our thought perception and our health, a search for instant gratification that we must 
address within ourselves when it arises. Uh, we acknowledge that drugs are not the only things people struggle with in addiction. And like I said, if they need help with something, we do our best to provide the resources they need and point them in the right direction. Mm, man, you did your homework. I'm not sending these questions out to anybody else anymore. I want to hear their <laughs> off-the-cuff responses. <laughs> now, that's a that's a really good answer to, to what addiction is. I mean, there's so much to tie into there. So I guess uh, if we – I'm trying to come at this like from an open-minded perspective. So most people in like abstinence-based recovery feel like using any drugs if like if you're an addict and you use any drugs you know it's it's dangerous they don't they'd be shocked to find out that there are recovery modalities out there that that practice like you can learn social using or that you can have like uh social using even after you've struggled with addiction uh, that's kind of contradictory to what most 12-step fellowships views are um do you feel like this program is more open or is open to people that want to recreationally use or really just people that are on like maintenance type programs? Well, I know some people that recreationally use or whether they want to drink on the weekends or smoke weed on the weekends or whatever it is they choose, but have struggled with shooting heroin or some other kind of illicit drug that they've been struggling with for decades. Um, some of those people did recreationally use before they got into all these other harder drugs. Some of that may have stemmed, stemmed from pharmaceutical use. Um, it's open to either or. I've personally found that some people, not one recovery path works for all people. There's some people that can't come off of pharmaceuticals or have debilitating diseases where they need something to help them just to get through life. And maybe they've been on pharmaceuticals for a long time. I've seen these people come off with medical cannabis and find a lot better way of living and being able to actually function on a daily basis without having to worry about getting sick, without having to be out of their mind on pills or whatever it is. Interesting. And so I think maybe I, I don't, this is probably something we should have like brought up at first for some reason, just not to put a spotlight on it, but more because I think people will find this conversation interesting to know exactly the direction it's coming from. Uh, and so I do want to bring up that, that Matt, you do smoke marijuana, I believe, correct? I'm a medical cannabis patient. I use, okay. I more ingest my cannabis than I do smoke it. I do from time to time vape but mostly i ingest i make edibles i make my own capsules um i make my own tinctures i buy my own tinctures from the dispensary uh frequently it's been mostly cbd more than thc and i find that relieves my anxiety it relaxes me through the day and it also is healing my body and providing the natural resources to my endocannabinoid system which a lot of people aren't educated on Okay. Yeah. I just, uh, I wanted to, I don't, I don't know how we forgot that. Honestly, that's one of the more interesting aspects for, for people who have been told their whole, you know, recovery life that there's this one way to do it. Kind of like Billy was just talking about, there's one way to do it and that's complete abstinence. Right. Wow. And sure. then even, 
even in that complete abstinence, like Billy was just saying before you got on this morning, we draw these arbitrary lines of like, well, coffee and cigarettes is cool, but you know, you can't smoke joints, you know, just, just marijuana cigarettes. And so <laughs> it's definitely interesting to us to consider the concept that there's something else out there that's not complete abstinence and, and how that works. And so I don't, I don't ever want to come off during any of this podcast episode is like condescending or, or better than I did want to bring that up though, because I think it's interesting for people who don't have any experience in that realm to hear, Oh shit, people are, people are like still living a good life and trying to grow while they're, you know, on a substance that I would consider using. That's incredible. Like that's a whole mind opening idea. Uh, So this is probably, go ahead. One of the things I've, I've actually noticed is that um, in normal society, like I know me as an addict, when I first stopped and first went around like my family and stuff, they didn't even understand the idea that I could like never drink again. You know, to them, it's like, oh, you're not, you know, you're not doing heroin. You're not doing all these heavy drugs anymore. Why don't you, you know, when we come over and have the crab feast, you can have a beer or two, right? Like, for most people, this idea that you can never use any kind of substance again is is sort of foreign. But within the recovery community, it's hilarious because there is they're almost the most judgmental about that concept. It's like people in recovery are the most critical of anyone that wants to try to socially use after they've come to a twelve step fellowship. Like they're like the first ones to put people down. <laughs> well, I, in the defense of the recovery community, uh, I will say that. I know from my own personal experience that portions of trying that at different points in time in my life did not work for me. Does that mean that they couldn't work for me now? I have no idea. I I don't hope to try anytime soon because what I am doing is working. But I do know that at the points in time when I tried to use, you know, certain substances and not others, and, and, and I've heard a lot of people share this, it didn't work for us. Right. And so I think it's easy to generalize that, that, oh, Look, and I just said this to Billy, you know, 20 minutes ago, I'm self-centered. I think that everybody else's life is just like mine. They feel like I do, and their experiences are going to turn out just like mine. And what I'm finding more and more is that's not fucking true. (laughs) And so I can't generalize that everybody is going to struggle with a couple of beers on the weekend or, or, you know, with a marijuana usage or with anything. Like, I, I don't know that. It just didn't work for me at the time I tried it. So before we get any deeper into questions, let's go ahead and take our, our break for the Voices ad, and then we'll, uh, we'll come right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. All right, we're back. And so as we come back into this conversation, Matt, one of the things I wanted to ask is, so you, you have the meeting, you're sitting around with these group of individuals that you see generally each week. <clears throat> you know, you guys are talking about whatever's going on during the meeting, in, in, uh, you know, the recovery modalities I'm used to, they generally talk about your support network and, and the people around you being your eyes and ears, right? Like sometimes we don't, 
have a realistic view of ourselves. And so we rely on these people around us that we trust to, to help us with where we're at. Um, so what kind of signs it, it's trickier, I think for where you're at, possibly uh, it seems like it would be trickier. Maybe it's not, but what kind of signs would say that people around you are in their recovery process and what kind of signs might say, uh, you know, whoa, hold up the stop sign. Y'all need to like change course. You're, you're going down a slippery path here. Um, well, you've already heard me mention numerous times about progression and progressing life. So trying to better yourself, making attempts and showing effort that someone wants recovery or is in their recovery process is working is a good sign. But you see someone start coming off negative, not showing up for the meetings, not responding back to messages frequently. Because like I said, we hold each other accountable. So we have a group chat that we add everybody on that comes in if they want to be added, just so we can check up on each other, see, hold each other accountable, ask them how they're doing, call them on their bullshit. So any compulsive behaviors that might question their actions. Um, I gotcha. Anything showing them they're not working on the right path, not working on their cells, kind of backsliding as you would. We try to call them on it, ask them if they need any help, ask them if they can, we can talk to them, anything, anything that we can provide to encourage somebody. If we see them coming off like they're backsliding or not working on themselves, we'll try to catch it. Now, in in the modality you focus on, is there any specific rule? So the, the question itself was specific rules to be clean or sober, but that's, I think, a little misworded for, for this representation of recovery. But is there any rules to to say that you're in recovery or you aren't? Like, is, there, is that a thing? Well, I guess... This is still early on. Again, we're not a program. We're just a meeting. So there's no really guidelines or rules of being clean and sober. I mean, we don't want people coming into our meetings all messed up and intoxicated because we've got people that are still in early recovery that are still trying to figure out where they're at and which path they want to take. We don't suggest to anybody that they go get on a maintenance program or this or that. We tell them to find their own path and we help them find it. If they need the 12 steps, we'll put that out there as a process. NA, AA, um, other fellowships. We just, there's no really rules to it right now, to being clean and sober. As long as we see a person is one progression in life, is wanting to work on their recovery, it, wherever they're at, even if they are using a maintenance program, if they're using it correctly, if they're showing that they're wanting to work forward in their life, trying to work on their credit, trying to make amends with family members that they've burned bridges with in the past, anything of that nature. I got this. So as long as people seem to be moving towards some form of personal growth, then it just seems like they're exactly. on their, the path to recovery. So <clears throat> have you found so far... Uh, and, and I don't, I think this is actually, I, I really thought it was a great question until I started asking it to people. And now I'm like, I don't know that this is a good question at all, because I, the question is what type of, is there a type of person that maybe your program works better for, or I, I guess the idea was like, maybe like there's this type of person 
or this personality type that like completely, you know, completely staying abstinent would work better for. And then I kind of asked this for the recovery Dharma. Like, is there a person that maybe would find more recovery in Buddhist ideals? Like, is there a personality trait that leads to that? But the more I think about it, like, 12-step recovery programs and fellowships are so diverse that it does not seem like there's any one personality trait that it works for. Right, because everybody's different. There's no one person that fits one program or one program that fits one person or every person. So any person could walk in. It's just all a matter of preference. Yeah, I might have to delete that. (laughs) Might have to delete that question. That one's not working for me. Um. So when you were doing some of your research before you decided to start your meeting, is there any other program even similar that you came across? Um, I started looking into the MAT and seeing if it was a program, but I haven't really, I didn't really start doing research until after I started the program. I just kind of started a meeting and I was offered in pl- a place at Voices of Hope to hold this meeting and it just kind of fell into place and we just took off running with it. I gotcha. I w- now, so if you did come across, like if there was something very similar to what you're doing that already had uh, a, a national program type available and there weren't any real adverse effects to joining that national program like say they you know they they were accepting and inclusive of all they didn't have any like rules of that type would you consider joining a national program if that type existed absolutely especially if it was something that wasn't provided around here because all my whole process with this and my whole thought process was bringing something to to the community that wasn't here that wasn't readily available Mm. something that other people felt maybe outcasted or didn't know where to go had a place to go because I know that's how I felt sometimes in the meeting when I, before I got my medical cannabis card and started on this, when I was just on Suboxone and going through the rooms and I was told I wasn't clean and I knew from where I had been to where I was now was, I was definitely clean in my eyes. I was just trying to keep from going backwards. That's really interesting you paint a completely different picture, I think, than a lot of people that are maybe in the 12-step meeting see. Like the picture that, that's generally seen from the perspective of, a say, a NA member who's got a few years clean and has worked the steps, what they're seeing, I'm going to speak for them, um, what they're seeing is, okay, this individual is in my program, they're on medically assisted treatment, which is not, from my understanding, completely abstinent. And uh, now they're mad that I'm telling them they're not following the rules of my program to be clean. Like, why don't they just go somewhere else? And and so I, I think the, the whole thing is, <clears throat> from the way you described it, that people are so excited to be free from you know, years of maybe heroin usage and and struggling with these illicit drugs that are really rough on the body and dangerous and and you don't know what you're getting all the time. And now we're on a, a dosage of something that keeps us completely away from that. We do know what it is. It's prescribed by a doctor. It's made in a, you know, a real certified factory somewhere. 
and I can feel safe about it and I can generally function in my life. And I'm so thrilled to have that freedom that it hurts my feelings for you to say I'm not clean because exactly. it feels so much different. I've seen, I've seen people leave meetings and relapse because of that. And I mean, it's even scarier if someone were to leave and not come back. You know, oh, you're muted, Bill. <laughs> Sorry. For me personally, I think that's one of the things that I find sort of most, if I were to use the word upsetting, it's like as a member of NA, like I wholeheartedly appreciate our sort of stance on abstinence-based recovery. Like this is our program. This is what we do here. And I'm a defender of that. But what's discouraging is that our members are so critical when these other programs pop up or when people come looking for help. Because as Matt said, like I know currently in this area, there isn't anything else. You have AA and NA, and that's pretty much it. There are no other types of support groups. So you'd think that we would be or want to be more encouraging of some of these programs. Um, you know, something like, you know, the MAT program fellowships or any of that. But what we found is there's a percentage of a large percentage of people that want to sort of poo poo it and be angry about it and be like, it's not real recovery if they're not abstinent. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that as a recovery community, we try to support other people in, in different things. And, and while we can do that and still defend our position on our fellowship, like, look, this is us. This is what we do. This is our lane. You know, let them have a lane over there. That's fine. We can, you know, encourage people to go there if that's what they need. Just for the record, I've seen a whole lot of people completely abstinent that I would say don't have real recovery. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and there's Lord. some people that 100% abstinence doesn't work for. People with medical issues, people that are just scared to come off of certain things. And there's other avenues that we can provide for them. Yeah, I, I can say this. Uh, I know, unfortunately, being in a, in a city environment for most of my recovery time and being around here for a little while... I've seen a fuck ton of people die, right? And, and it's sad. Um, Sponsees, friends, guys that I saw in meetings who just got a year clean and now they're not around ever again for the rest of my life. Like it's, it's shitty. And I know a whole lot of people who post I miss you messages on Facebook and, and other places that would love to have that person on MATs right now, right? So we can sit here and say to the end of time, hey, complete abstinence is the way. but uh, would you rather have somebody dead or, or, you know, using a medically assisted treatment for a few years or for the and rest still of their progressing life? Their life. Right. Right. And so, and I think that's, Oh, go ahead, Bill. Well, I was going to say, and I will say as uh sort of to, to play devil's advocate of what I just said, because I held this belief for a long time, there was a belief and uh, I'm becoming more educated, more open-minded in it these days that, the MAT programs were just legalized drug dealing that, you know, here you just had doctors and pharmaceutical companies taking advantage of addicts by, you know, getting them hooked, just getting them hooked on a different thing. So what they're not hooked on street heroin, but now they're hooked on Suboxone or they're hooked on methadone. And now it's just, you know, the government or some doctor's office that's exploiting addicts. Like that was, a, this is a position I held for a while and that these programs weren't really 
beneficial to anybody. They were just taking advantage of addicts. Um, as I've done, you know, a little more sort of research into that and, and this, I'm going to call it a newer concept of like harm reduction. Maybe it's not newer, but maybe it's getting more uh, notoriety or more sort of uh, talk about these days is like the harm reduction. Like if you can take someone who's, you know, shooting heroin, living homeless out in the streets and you can get them on a maintenance program where they can at least, you know, maybe maintain a job, maintain a residence, you know, and start building a life forward like that's better even if they are on a legal drug from a legal drug dealer, like that's better than letting them live out in the streets and shoot heroin and potentially overdose all the time. Like that's an idea that took me a while to sort of open my thinking to, you know, it was, it was much easier to, to minimalize it down to legalize drug dealing than to look at the nuances of how like stepping in the right direction is still progression. I, one billion percent you know i make up these percentages all the time but i definitely <laughs> agree with what you're saying man like i i felt the same way i i was like oh and this was before the suboxone uh phase really hit it was more the methadone and it was like oh that's just continued using but the fact is if you can get that steady dose every day of what it is that you need to survive right that is way safer so you're not gonna od on it generally right it, it gives you the ability to show up for your children every day it gives you the ability to go to work and support your family why are we all going to criticize this form right when it's bettered your life like the op the alternative is you're out there like stealing crab meat from giant or ibuprofen <laughs> from right aid right uh, to get another hit like you're never around taking care of your children. You're not bringing home money to pay the rent. Your, your family's on government assistance now. So the same people that bitch about you wasting my tax dollars are the same people that bitch about why the fuck are you on Suboxone or Methadone? And it's like, well, motherfucker, you can't have it both ways. Which one do you want, right? <laughs> do you want these people to pay their goddamn bills so you don't have to or, or what? Like, it's just so frustrating to have that. But I, I'm with you. I, I Look, I'm one of those people who had to learn more information and, you know, through that new information, change my mind. And you made another point, Billy, and I think this is where we talk about how important it is what Matt's doing, because we, we talk about, OK, these people come into N.A. and they're excited to be in a new version of their life where they feel so free. Right. And N.A. people say, well, you're not fucking clean. You don't belong here specifically. You're not following our program, right? You can't really share here. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong, right? The Narcotics Anonymous program has a version of itself that works for complete abstinence. And we do have our guidelines in there. And so I'm not saying what they're saying is wrong, but those two worlds don't mix well, right? And, and these people who might be on medically assisted treatment are like, well, where the fuck else am I supposed to go to get the help I need? because I do want to come here and continue to grow. And so having this alternative, having somebody like Matt open this meeting and have their own lane, which is where they need to be. Like we should be supporting the shit out of this. This is hugely important. This is where people need to go. And we say, oh, well, medically assisted treatment always leads back to using again. Well, maybe that's because they don't have anywhere to fucking go talk about their problems. <laughs> like. Exactly. Maybe that's why it's using back, going back to that. So, uh, sorry, let me get off my soapbox for a minute. No. That's all right. I couldn't have said it better, Jason. Thank you. <laughs>
no, I, I, I love it. Um, I love that it's going on. I maybe, you know, medically assisted treatment anonymous or something. I know that's maybe a little limiting. <laughs> <laughs> Call it matter. matter. These people matter. <laughs> um, like that. So is, is there any kind of, I, I guess that's not really a program, so there wouldn't be an end or a graduation to it. It's just about continued growth, as you've said. Yes. Correct. Um, What's so, and this is more specific just for you, not really for everybody that comes to the meeting, but what kind of things, what kind of new passions have you found in your life and what's replaced your, your time and attention that used to be to, you know, finding ways and means to get more maybe obviously you've had a, a, a different path to recovery. So a lot of people, I would say not a lot of some people, they use then they go to their treatment center, their 28-day detox, whatever. They get clean. They come out. This is the the recovery modality I've been sold, right? They come out. They're clean. And then life is different from there. And so you're saying you you used and then you got Suboxone? Um, well, I used, got went into rehab, sober homes, rehab, sober homes, back and forth. Um I did the 12 steps for almost a year when I first went into a sober home. And so I was back and forth prison time. I did four years of prison and I wanted to come home and get back to my community. So that's what led me to where I am today. Um, my time's actually filled now so much. I don't even have time to think about using between <laughs> raising a family work. Um, I've been taking classes recently to be a certified peer recovery coach through Voices of Hope, um, and majority of my time, I'm a medical cannabis advocate. I help patients register through the state. Uh, I help them. I schedule them for a doctor that I helped open here in Perryville, who is actually a Suboxone doctor, and wanted to stop. Was tired of seeing, tired of losing patients, so she's working on helping patients get off of Suboxone with medical cannabis, and I'm a peer through her office with that, as well as scheduling for her. Uh, and I consult with patients who need help with their meds, whether it's how to make it, uh, what meds would be good for their particular ailments, and just educating myself and my community and giving back in any way possible. I have a little bit of a question more on the uh, medical cannabis aspect, which I think you're pretty educated on this stuff. So um, what's like the difference? So I know uh, for myself, like the CBD oil seems to have a lot of benefits people talk about with different things and it's non-psychoactive. And then I guess you have the CBD with the THC in it. And that seems to have some benefits as well. Um, are there, are there different benefits between, you know, the non-psychoactive and the psychoactive? Okay. So yes, there's, they're coming up with more and more benefits on a daily as we get more um, scientific research we're allowed to do. Uh, CBD comes as an isolate, which is just the CBD by itself, and then a full-spectrum CBD, which has the legal limit of THC. It doesn't produce any psychoactive effects, but it has been scientifically proven that the plant works better, which is called with what is called an entourage effect and that's the whole plant working together the THC combined with the CBD 
comes together with your receptors and works throughout your body better. But for some people who maybe work government jobs or can't have THC pop up on a urine test, that's what CBD isolate is there for. Interesting. So you've talked a lot about the accountability in your program, right? And, or not in the pro I keep calling it a program. It's so hard to get away from the language that I'm used to. Um, but at the meeting you, you speak about how the accountability is an important part, right? And accountable to each other and, and ways you keep track of each other. And I think that's a huge part of, you know, the 12 step programs I've been in. I know we say the 12 steps are the program in those programs and I agree, but I think there's a large portion of the, you know, the emphasis we put on meetings is about accountability. It's about having a service position, being of service, being, you know, having a home group so that people call me when I don't show up and, and say, where the hell are you? Like, I think that's a, a crucial thing. I'm curious along with that, is there any similar thing so far that you've worked out to be kind of close to a sponsor? Do they have anything like that going on in your, are you not as, there yet? Or figuring as that of out? right now, we're not there yet. Um, like I said, we hold each other accountable. It's a very small group, so we add each other on Messenger. If there's new females, we'll have the females who have been in the group for a while get their number. Same with same way the other fellowships would do it. We try to keep men with men and women with women to try to not cause any friction between people. And the people who need to help each other can help each other and provide resources, and we can all work together to hold each other accountable. So that's interesting. I, I was actually going to skip this question, but since you decided that the men stick with the men and the women with the women, uh, is there any kind of like general suggestion about relationships early in recovery? Do, do people suggest not to do that or? Well, again, we kind of go with how the other 12 steps do it. And if you're not in a relationship and you're just getting clean, you should probably stay that way. Focus on yourself because that's where most of the healing is when you're starting off in recovery. You've got a lot of inner self-work, a lot of self-work to do all around. You don't need somebody else distracting that or you trying to get that happiness or instant gratification from mm -hmm. someone else you're just meeting. Focus on yourself. If you're not already in a long-term relationship with somebody who is conducive to your recovery, we try to encourage you just stay that way for a while. It's interesting. I, I do know some people uh, that aren't a big fan of the stay out of a relationship for a year suggestion just because it really doesn't exist in our literature. And it was kind of, you know, somebody sort of made it up along the way. I see Billy smiling. I think he's one of the ones who doesn't like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It came from recovery. It, I mean, it came from uh, treatment centers is where it came from. When you were in treatment centers, you weren't supposed to intermingle sexes. You weren't supposed to get involved with each other. And of course I met my wife. I had three or four months clean. Let's say we, I mean, I met her a long time ago, but we got in a relationship. She had, 12 years, I think. And I had like four months clean and we got in a relationship. So we did all the cliche. You're not supposed to do things. And we just celebrated a 15 year wedding anniversary last week. So yeah. that's rehab what I think. About. Romance. <laughs> no rehab romances. I don't know. As a guy who falls like I, so I went to, uh, there's a fellowship called sex and love addicts anonymous. Um, and a lot of the idea of love addiction is that I can get a lot of the basically the same comfort and feeling I got from drugs from a new relationship. 
uh, you know, every three months, basically, you know, falling in love, falling in love constantly. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I'm kind of a believer in the stay the hell out of a relationship until you figure out who the hell you are. But, uh, you know, would I be clean today if I didn't have those relationships early on that I needed to like kind of buffer getting clean? I, I don't know. I don't. So I, I, I think that just highlights like the, the point of like, you know, a program like Matt is doing or whatever. It's like, we're not all the same. And I can't say that, you know, what I did is good for you or that what happened in my case is the best, you know, advice for someone else. Like I know I've sponsored some guys that had relationship issues and I would tell them, stay the fuck out of relationships. Don't, you know, you have this habit of doing this thing and going and getting distracted by all this stuff. So, you know, again, what I did isn't necessarily great for everyone, you know, I love that you say, I can't tell you if what I did is good for you. I can't even tell you if what I did was good for me. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have something, Matt? I'm actually, I was going to say, I'm actually right there with Billy. I had gotten, me and my girlfriend had gotten together. I was still kind of early in my recovery. And I actually helped her detox off of some of her, last of her pharmaceutical muscle relaxers and stuff. And gabapentin nerve medicine that they had her on when we first got together and I used her medical cannabis and essential oils and different stuff, helping her to help her detox. And I mean, we're on our recovery path together and we help hold each other accountable. We help teach each other, help each other grow, encourage each other to go out and learn new things in the recovery community. So my story's not going to be the same as somebody else's, but I'm still not going to suggest they go out and do it. (laughs) Right, right. I, so, and that's like, you know, I don't know. Sometimes Billy's situation worked out and I've heard other people who shared, Hey, uh, you know, I met a girl when I had four five, six months clean and she had no clean time. And yet we've been married 20 years and life is great. And it's like, well, that's awesome, but that's not the norm, right? Generally like that's the one percenters, right? That's, that's almost like saying, if, if we were trying to say that that's okay because it worked in this one case, that's like saying uh, there's no racism because Oprah made it right. Like that <laughs> doesn't really make sense. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we all got to find our path and do what's right for us uh, to get slightly controversial here for a second, Matt. Um, you have a medical cannabis card, right? Which means right. that, Doctors have, you know, evaluated you. You guys have worked together for a treatment plan for, you know, your whatever issues you got going on. And it's been decided that a doctor has prescribed you this medicine as the best form for how to treat you uh, moving forward. And so in, in, say, NA, right, if you go and have a surgery and a doctor prescribes you pain medicine and you take that as prescribed, you are still clean, right? As far as I understand. Um, So would you say that if you went into NA today and said you were clean, would you say that people would disagree with you? Absolutely. Right. I, I agree. <laughs> I, I think they would disagree with you. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing here today. So, Right, right. And I can say that I know um, – I'm not going to break anonymity here. I'm going to keep this very general. Um, but I specifically know of at least two different people 
that are uh, on regular Suboxone maintenance that are heavily involved in Narcotics Anonymous, not in our specific area, um, but in an area very close to here. And they seem to be accepted and okay in that community. Um, it's open what they're doing. They have service commitments on H and I, I mean, yeah, that's, and, and that, I mean, it's controversial to me. I don't, (laughs) but I know that that does happen in narcotics anonymous. I don't necessarily think that it's the norm, but I can like say, I know two specific examples where that is what's happening, that these are people that are openly on, uh, a medicated assistant program and yet are still seem to be accepted in those NA communities. So I guess what we do here, what might be common isn't always everywhere. <laughs> here. I thought we were going to talk about sponsorship next week. Fuck that. We're talking about this. <laughs> I'm dying to know more about this. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. No. So I, I would agree. I would say if Matt walked into a meeting today and, you know, shared, Hey, uh, I've got some clean time, you know, got my medical cannabis card and I use it as prescribed. People would be like, you're not fucking clean. Yeah. Right. And so that's interesting. Why? Why is it that we would, you know, as a fellowship in general, not everybody, of course, but why is it that we would say this person using doctor prescribed medication is not clean and this person using doctor prescribed medication is? Is there any... Like, is there a differentiation? Uh, I, I mean, I can tell you at least my view or my limited understanding of it. And I don't know that this speaks specifically to Matt's case. This would speak more to the MAT, Suboxone, Methadone. But in Narcotics Anonymous, it's it's viewed that you don't treat drugs for an addiction problem. You don't use drugs to treat an addiction problem. Now, you can use drugs you know, medical drugs for other things, but not specifically for addiction. So that historically has been why, you know, Narcotics Anonymous hasn't accepted people that are on maintenance programs. Um, Whether you're on drugs for other reasons, I mean, we do allow or accept people that are on mental health medications and things. Um, But even that, I've, I've heard that be controversial with some people. I've heard people get really upset that, you know, people are on certain sorts of uh, mental health medications. And I've even heard people tell other people they needed to get off these health medications, which to me is completely insane. How some fucking idiot in Narcotics Anonymous can dictate to anyone what a professional doctor thinks they should be on or not is is crazy. But it happens. You know what I mean? And I think it's done in a good spirit. I think it's done in the spirit of, hey, this is what works for me. This is what I think you need to do. If you do this, your life's going to get better. Um, we just need to sometimes take ourselves down off our high horses and realize that, you know, some, again, we're not all the same. Addiction isn't just a one size fits all thing that fits the same for everybody. I love my high horse, by the way. But uh, <laughs> did you have a, did you have something, Matt, that you wanted to add? I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, okay. I do that all the time. <laughs> it's just yeah so that's really interesting i definitely i agree with billy i think there oh. you know that's oh go ahead if the uh medicaid assistant treatment isn't for treating drug addiction if it's treating for something else pain management like you said mental health 
medical cannabis can be used for many different things. I'm not using medical cannabis to treat my addiction from the doctor. I'm doing that on my own, but I'm getting it from the doctor for PTSD and my mental, other mental things I've dealt with in my past. Right. I think that's where it gets really interesting is like, where, where do we draw these kind of lines? And, and what is, you know, how does NA possibly, and maybe it doesn't, maybe NA is just fine the way it is, but how does NA possibly need to evolve as we're realizing that marijuana is really a different drug than a lot of these other drugs? And a lot of these states are, are legalizing it in different ways, shapes, and form. Now, I know, you know, that might not mean that the average Joe can, like, alcohol is already legal, right? And I can't be an NA member and go to the bar every Friday night. At least for me, that does not work. Like, that might work for people. That doesn't work for me. So I can't just go out because marijuana is legal and be like, oh, bro, we're smoking joints on Saturdays now. Like, that, that's not going to be okay for me, probably. But uh, as, a, as a medical option, I think that really changes the way NA might have to look at accepting that in the future. Like that's going to become more of a thing over time because I do think there are some, some really valid medical applications for marijuana usage. Well, and I personally think, so where some of the real, I'm going to call it the challenges to with some of these decisions is um, take like a recovery house. So you have a, a, what I would call a typical recovery house with eight or 10 people that are living in there that, that want to be on some sort of recovery program. And then you bring in, you know, a member who has, you know, either a medical cannabis card or Suboxone or whatever else, is that going to be, you know, and then that person can, can legally or legally rightfully, I would say have these substances around other people who do have, a severe addiction problem and are really triggered by those things, you know, seeing this, you know, that, that smell of weed around might really trigger someone in a recovery house. And I don't know, I'm not trying to say there's a right or wrong. I'm not trying to say those people should or shouldn't be in those houses, but that is a real issue that we have to be able to kind of talk about and address. We can't just act like it doesn't exist. Um, and I think it's the same thing for, narcotics anonymous like it becomes a place where there's a real kind of risk reward that we have to try to balance out of like if we start saying it's okay to be on these certain substances is that gonna kind of become a trigger or a or lead way more people astray and so you know these are tough decisions it isn't there isn't an easy we can just draw a line here and and fix it with just this one pen stroke right across this line um Unfortunately, we have to, you know, and I think you've said this before, Jason, it feels like, unfortunately, we have to kind of pick a line somewhere and say, well, I'm sorry to say, but this is the line. And and really, we aren't all inclusive, maybe like we want to be, or maybe I, idealistically like we want to be. But the, the push there is that we can encourage people to go to other fellowships. That's what AA did for Narcotics Anonymous all those years back. You know, they had all these drug addicts going into the AA meetings and AA kind of said, Hey, look, this isn't really what we do here, but we can encourage you guys and help you guys to go over here and do something a little different. And so the hope would be that we can do that in our fellowship too, as a bridge this gap to some of these other programs to say, Hey, look, this isn't exactly what we do, but we want to encourage you. We want to help you to continue your growth. 
And maybe we can sort of guide you guys over this direction where you can get the help and support you need. Interestingly, uh, I always heard when I first got around to the, the rooms of NA, I was told that people in AA were free of alcohol use, but they would like snort Coke on the weekends or something. And I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's really true, but I did hear that kind of stuff. And so I heard they I all just, smoke weed, but yeah. <laughs> right, so I just heard a new term the other day and that's called California sober, which is people who smoke weed, but don't drink alcohol. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. So maybe NA could have like California clean <laughs> or Colorado clean or something, you know? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really it's really interesting. So, uh, to kind of follow through with that same line of reasoning of like, you know, NA would probably, in general, not consider what you're doing clean right now. But you you did mention that you worked some twelve steps for for a time in your life. Yeah. Were you completely clean when you did that? Yes, I was a hundred percent. I was a hundred percent abstinent. I lived at a sober home. I did my ninety and ninety. Uh, I did speaking commitments almost every weekend for my house owner. Uh, I was living in the three quarter house working on a daily basis and just doing my thing in recovery and doing everything I was supposed to, how I was supposed to working with my sponsor, working out of my 12 step guide, doing my 12 steps. I just got too much freedom at one point. And I still wasn't ready. I started going out to concerts and stuff and putting myself in the wrong positions and around the wrong type of people. And it just led me backwards. What Was it at a specific concert that you uh, relapsed? What do you mean at a specific concert? I didn't know if you were like at a show seeing a particular group and, and that's where oh, you relapsed. No, no. I was going to a few different ones. I had actually relapsed before the concert. Oh, okay. I was just going to tell you if the band was worth it or not. That's all. <laughs> the band was definitely worth it. <laughs> um, I and had so, to make my mistakes to learn to get to where I am today. Right. And so I, I'm curious. I, I can. I look at my life, right? And, and I say one of the really interesting things that I see in the world, especially in the world of mental health treatment, is that there's some talk about usage of hallucinogenics in mental health treatment, right? I heard you guys talking about that. And I love that topic. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's super interesting. Right. But it's also for me, a guy who really predicates myself on complete abstinence, completely terrifying too, because there's an attraction, right? There's an attraction to, I want to try this for the right reasons, but also am I tricking myself into thinking it's the right reasons? And, and that's so you have to ask yourself, <laughs> it, it, it is right. And, and I don't know completely how to know the whole true answer until almost until it would be too late to turn back. Right. Like I would know after the fact, if I made the right decision, but I wouldn't necessarily know that ahead of time. Um, and so just, so I've considered that concept. Okay. Maybe one day I will do this. And, and what does that look like if I would one day choose to do this? And I'm, I'm not like, considering doing it this year or anything like that. It's just a thought. Maybe one day in the future, five years, 10 years from now, maybe I try that. What does that look like for me? And I say, well, I kind of have to leave NA. Like I can't really claim clean time if I did this, I think. And I don't think I'm going to hang out and be a guy with one day clean again just because I decided to do this for a mental health experience. And so I've like really thought about that and weighed out like what that would look like. And I'm just curious for 
in the recovery community, people in NA who practice complete abstinence seem highly accepted, right? They're they're the they're definitely recovering, right? Whereas <laughs> people who are on medically assisted treatments, there might be some questions about whether they're really recovering or not, right? There might be some judgments thrown their direction. And so how hard was it for you coming back to this, knowing you were coming back to recovery, how hard was it for you to choose? I'm not going to go this route where I know I will be accepted. I'm going to go this route where there's going to be some judgments thrown my way, but I really believe this is the right way for me. How difficult was it to make that choice? Mm, That was kind of simple on my behalf because I've kind of been judged and outcasted all my life. I mean, I got my first possession charge for, marijuana in seventh grade my second one in ninth grade i wrote papers all throughout middle and high school on the legalization of medical cannabis and then Mm -hmm. i moved out to california when i was 19 to be a medical cannabis patient so i've always had a passion for this and recovery is something that i knew i needed it was only since i came home from prison the past few years that i started realizing that i could put the two together and actually using cannabis in a medicinal way and dosing myself and keeping track of everything that I put in my body and how it affects my body and what helps my body and what makes my body react in an adverse effect that I realized that I can help people and educate others and do this to help myself at the same time while helping others. I think one of the most incredible things is that there were some years in my life not too distant ago where I would have said, Oh my God, this guy's just fucking getting high. He's not clean at all, right? And yet I'm sitting here listening to you today and I'm like, the way that you are listening to your body as you put different amounts or, you know, take it at different times a day to figure out what works best for your, you know, your mental health and how that all works out. You're probably more in tune and present and conscious than I am on a lot of these. Like, <laughs> Like, I know people who've said, oh, man, when I eat steak, I feel, you know, overwhelmed the next day with tiredness or, or my body feels fatigued. And it's like, I'm like, I don't fucking have any clue how I feel from what I eat. And so I'm just amazed that how I could look at that so different at one aspect or time in my life. And then from today, look at it and say, damn, dude, you're really you're pretty in tune with what, you know, you're trying to do on a regular basis. That's awesome. Everything you put in your body has an effect on you like that, whether it affects your mood, even up down to what kind of food you eat with and the people you eat with to how mm. it affects your mood. And just being in tune with that and being able to realize how certain foods affect you and how certain people affect you and then being able to cut those things out or change those things around to make your body and your mood feel better throughout the day. It's amazing. It's so interesting. It's definitely an interesting topic. And I, I, I think this entire conversation has been interesting just because we generally, maybe not some more open-minded people. I know, you know, the entire Voices of Hope community and, and a lot of this peer movement into anything that works to get people to stop dying, right, is exactly. a good thing. And, and I'm all in on that. So maybe not to some people in that aspect of it, but to a lot of us in recovery who who basically have like fallen into a program and just bought in and stayed there. And, you know, I was even sold uh, the, the, the information. One program 
one disease, you know, like don't go anywhere fucking else for your information. You don't need to, it's all right here. And I have found that that's a complete, I don't want to say a complete falsehood. I want to say I've gotten a lot of assistance from a whole lot of other programs and fellowships that I have found hugely beneficial to my life that I wouldn't have gotten had I just stayed with this one program. Um, and so just more and more open-minded is where I want to be. Right. And to hear you come on and tell me about something that I'm completely unfamiliar with. And, and, and it sounds, it's definitely not who, who I thought I would be talking to. If you'd asked me five <laughs> or 10 years ago, I'd be like, ah, it's just a fucking stoner. He probably surfs or something. <laughs> right. Like, and I, I think a lot of people can hold on to those judgments until we hear somebody like you who's brave enough to step up and, and come on a podcast and talk about something different, man. So I really applaud you for having that courage to walk through. Like, we can say we're okay with ourselves and we all try to be, but there's always some hurt when we get judged, you know? And so for you to walk through that and come out here and explain to people what, what you're trying to present, I think is great. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Billy, did you have any questions? Uh, my only thing would be about like barriers. Like, do you feel like you've been running into any barriers as you've tried to get this kind of program going or have there been any uh, surprises like good or bad that have encouraged I think the discouraging? barrier to anything right now has been uh, just the whole COVID thing and trying to get people on line to something that not too many people have heard of right now so just trying to do it without promoting it but still having to promote it a little bit because nobody's ever heard of it so we just try to put it out there to give people a place to come and be able to speak openly nice and now that just led me to another quick question have you reached out or been in contact with any of like the maintenance programs in the county. I know there's a couple of doctors that are big on maintenance. Obviously in this county, we have two methadone clinics. Um, has there been any sort of communication with any of those places or have they reached out to you or you to them? Um, not yet. I'm working on it. I've been to the methadone programs and to some of the Suboxone programs and told them about some classes me and my girlfriend were teaching on detoxing with cannabis, but not with the all paths recovery yet. So that's still something, like I said, it's still something in the process of growing that we're working on just in general, trying to figure out which way to go with it. That's awesome. Well, yeah, but little bit I know about smart, I think that'd be an interesting uh, thing for you to check out. You know, I, I, I think from what I know about smart recovery, they are not abstinence based. They are open to things. And I think that's a combination. And again, I didn't do a deep dive. I just spent a little bit of time researching it at one point. They use some behavioral therapy techniques um, to help develop a recovery pathway for each individual and then recover that way. So that's that's another pretty interesting uh, recovery model that's out there as well. Yeah, I'm excited to check them out this week. I think Billy made a good, a couple of good points there. Actually, the the one about going to you know places who are prescribing medically assisted uh, treatment, I think that's a great idea to give people a place to come. You know, like you got to go and tell people where you're at. I know we we say it's attraction and not promotion, but yeah, people also have to know we exist in order exactly. to come around. And that's what I was just saying about COVID is. 
doing everything online and people not knowing it and trying to promote it without actually promoting it to get people to come and just know we're there if they need us. When I say that, because we had an issue in the county a few years back and it's not currently happening, but one of the methadone maintenance programs, I guess, somehow they had gotten in contact with NA and and wanted a meeting there. So we ended up actually having a NA meeting in the methadone clinic um, that was still an NA meeting. And that was, of course, very controversial. There was people that had strong opinions one way or another. And should they be giving out key tags? And what does all that mean? Um, you know, and again, it's it's the idea, the, the spirit behind it's great on both sides, but I just don't know that that was the avenue for Narcotics Anonymous to be trying to navigate. You know what I mean? Like it was, it created some controversy, um, but it did, at least it seemed like they were open to some sort of outside support groups and outside help. So that was a plus. I was interested when you asked uh, about, if they've run into any barriers and I, I was trying to think of what kind of barriers they could run into. I'm wondering how many churches would be open to having a meeting like an all paths type meeting, you know, like, Hey, uh, if you're trying to describe this to a, a church, Hey, you know, we still have marijuana use and, and we do these other medically assisted treatments along with that. Uh, it's all prescribed by doctors, but, people might have issues with that. The same way people in Absolutely. NA have a judgment of it, you know, church members could also have judgments of that. And and don't and don't mess up the church. God damn, you're going to be those guys who are those druggies you know, <laughs> that, that come to our church and mess it up. Like I could see that being a barrier. You might you might have to meet more outside of churches in other locations. You're absolutely right. Hmm. Super interesting. I, I can't imagine what other barriers, but I'm sure there will be barriers to it for sure. Absolutely. I'm just, I want Matt to make this national program if it doesn't exist, because <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't have enough initiative to do anything like that myself, but to know the guy who did it would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's what I'm shooting for. That's why I'm trying to branch myself out and learn anything I can about all the different paths of recovery. Yeah, I would imagine that there's probably some, you know, small groups that have attempted to to start something in different locations and localities like there need this is a need right now, I think. And the more I've talked to you about it, the more I'm realizing that that like we need a place just like this for people to come to. That's what I told Billy when I first reached out to him. I'm like, this is a need in our area. I mean, people are being turned away and they need a place to go. I would 100% agree. And I, and I think this is actually, even though as soon as this does become a thing, there's going to be like this, this, you know, different sides of the argument that NA is the right way or this way is the of right course. way. It doesn't have to be that at all. I, I just think it's the perfect solution for the problem that NA is having right now with, you know, Hey, we're saying you, you're not clean and people are thrilled to be, right where they're at and so it's like right. how do you can't i don't think there is a rectification for making that work together honestly i think we need to form another program and that's what i'm working on that's so awesome 
Uh, well, if everybody has done their questions, I think we've had a great episode today. I want to definitely thank Matt for coming out and, and talking about it. Uh, and tell us where we can find you at in Cecil County, Maryland. Thank you guys for having me. We can be found at Voices of Hope on Route 40 on Thursday night at 8 o'clock out back by the fire pit. Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Now, after COVID, are you going to meet back inside? Were you meeting inside before? Well, no, we've actually, we were meeting inside in the basement, but since it's warmer out now, we're doing it outside and due to COVID, we're trying to, trying to keep everybody apart. My girlfriend's high risk. So in order for her to go out, she's trying to keep distance and just feel comfortable being able to do the meetings in person. So last week was last Thursday was our first time gathering out by the fire pit went pretty well. We actually had a couple new people show up and Sweet. We got to see everything Voices of Hope has done new at the house, and it looks good. That's awesome. So Thursday nights, 8 o'clock, that's where you can uh, see Matt and, and you know, show up to a meeting that might be unlike any meeting you've been to before, uh, and hopefully that's in a great way. Um, and, and Matt, I hope, you know, I wish you continued success. If there's anything we can do to assist with that, always feel free to reach out. Um, I would – I hope you can get out to those, you know, recovery centers and, and drum up some support or at least let people know that this is available, because I think right now this is something that people don't know about. And it's a very valuable service. Um, I'm definitely taking notes. Thanks for all your input. Absolutely. So uh, it's been a great episode. I know this by the time anybody listens to this, it will be Monday. So a little late, but happy Father's Day anyway to everyone. Um, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Awesome. Take care. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.